better safe than sorry, always be closing. Clichés are clichés because they are true. Now you can add a new cliché to your list. Only fools miss an episode of Parsha Podcast, the podcast for the spiritually curious. Now let's learn some deep Torah. Here's your host, Rabbi Goldman. Welcome back to another edition of Parsha Podcast. It's great to be back again. This week, we are studying the Parsha of Va'era. Va'era literally means, and I have appeared. God speaking to Moses, telling him, I have appeared to the forefathers, and uh, now I'm appearing to you. We're about to go out of Egypt. Before we jump in, people in the Jewish community are very fond of proudly crowing about Jewish Nobel Prize winners. I looked it up, it's about 20% of 900 winners or so, so far, have been Jewish. Now, Jews have always valued education, learning, and knowledge. This is true in the field of Torah, and it's also true in the field of secular knowledge. But where did this begin? Was it very revolutionary for its times? And how did this value become so ingrained in Jewish culture? So our Parsha of Eira speaks about the encounter between Pharaoh and his sorcerers versus Moshe, Moses, and Aaron, who have come to work to get Pharaoh to free the Jewish people from slavery. So in today's class, we're going to focus on the sorcerers and their role in Egyptian society. This is an element of the Parsha that is very often overlooked, but this will set the backdrop for the revolutionary approach that Judaism took and continues to take to education and to literacy overall. So the Parsha describes how when Moshe is sent by Hashem to perform miracles before Pharaoh as a method of demonstrating Hashem's power and therefore encouraging and inducing Pharaoh to obey the command to free the Jewish people, the the sorcerers replicate the miracles with their sorcery, which effectively blunts the impact of the miracles on Pharaoh. Now, you need to understand that in ancient Egypt, most people did not know how to read or write. The professor of Egyptology at Oxford, Dr. John Baines, writes that in most periods of ancient Egyptian history, not more than 1% of the people were literate. 99% on average of the people of ancient Egypt were illiterate. And he writes that such a society is not likely to encourage the passage into literacy of the non-literate. The sorcerers were clearly part of the elite literate class, and everybody else is kind of on a different level. We're going to get back to the comparison between Egyptian culture and Jewish culture in a moment. For now, I want to try something new. I'm going to play a clip of the Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Menachem Schneerson, talking about this point, describing the what seems to us to be quite odd, but it was very common in Egypt, describing the elitism of literacy in Egyptian culture. For 
In the rest of that talk, the Rebbe is describing how our approach to Torah study is profoundly different than the Egyptian attitude towards education. Um, in Egypt, education was made available to a limited group of people, the elite, the priestly class, sorcerers, and so on, scribes. Um, they were a closed book to the rest of the population. The masses were not granted access to any of the higher education Egypt had to offer. So whenever there was a communication from the higher class to the lower class, it, was the, it took the form of a command. They had to follow instructions. They had no choice. They had no way of arguing or debating or, or understanding what was going on. Understanding was the privilege of the upper echelons of society only. Now, let's discuss the contrasting view, the radically contrasting view of the Torah. From the very beginning, the Torah is all about all the people studying it. Case in point, the preparation for the giving of the Torah involved the entire nation of Israel. The Torah describes very clearly that God tells Moses, go tell the people, sanctify them today and tomorrow. They're going to immerse their clothing. Then They will then be ready for the third day. For on the third day, Hashem will descend on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Again and again, the point is made, this is meant to be an experience for every single member of the Jewish nation. This is not going to be an exclusive VIP event. There is no such thing as VIP when it comes to Torah. And to further that point, the beginning of the, of the event of the giving of the Torah, God himself speaks and communicates directly with the entire nation, with every single person. They all heard God communicate to them. And again, the point is hammered home. This is not an exercise in elitism. This is for everyone. And from that point onward throughout history, Jews have seen Torah study as a fundamental primary individual responsibility. To, uh, to highlight that, we have a law in the laws of Torah study. By the way, there's a section of the laws of the Torah called laws of studying the Torah. And Maimonides writes that every Jewish person must study Torah, whether they are poor or rich, healthy or ailing, young or old, even if somebody is begging for charity from door to door, and even if he has a family to support, they must set aside time for Torah study at day and night. As the verse states, you shall study it by day and night. And regardless of your role in society, no matter what class level you occupy, no matter your level of intelligence or any other factor, everyone has to study the Torah. After being in Egypt for generations, there was an immediate correction to the attitude that may have crept in from Egyptian culture that knowledge and learning is only for the smart ones, so to speak. It's not for everyone. You know, not everybody has to be an intellectual. It's for certain people. The rest, we just go to work and we follow the rules. And Judaism comes along and radically says, no, learning is for everyone. Obviously, everyone can only study and understand up to their level of intelligence and so on. But to say that there's a certain person who is exempt, or, or even worse, not allowed, not welcome to study? God forbid. Everyone has to utilize their minds, try their best to understand the concepts behind the laws and behind the values of the Torah, not only to follow on a practical level the behaviors and the commandments and the rules of the Torah, but to try to understand as much as we can. This, this principle is actually borne out in practice today when Jewish custom is that as soon as a child can speak, his parents teach him the verse, Torah Tziva. Torah Tziva means the Torah that Hashem gave to Moses is the inheritance of every Jew, which means, 
if it's your if it's your inheritance, that means that you own it. And if you own it, you must study it. Naturally, a child will study at a child's level. But this obligation grows with you at every stage of life. And so the question is, are you studying the Torah in a way that is appropriate to your current stage of life? And that's a question each of us need to answer every single day of our lives. And I, I'm fond of saying that we live in an age of no excuses. Practically the entire Torah has been translated. Many, many commentaries, works of the Torah, Torah scholars have been translated. There are video, audio, lectures. You have all the help you need. All you need to do is make a move in the direction of studying Torah. It is absolutely democratized. Everybody can access it for free. And there's really nothing getting in the way. And especially if you have some extra time these days, there's no better idea and no better way for you to spend some extra time than by taking upon yourself daily Torah study in one way or another. Um, just as a side point, an easy way to get started would be to check out Chabad.org slash daily study, where you'll have all sorts of bite size, not too overwhelming um, small doses of Torah study that are built for daily study on a daily basis. And you continue through one lesson and the other um, on a schedule, chabad.org slash daily study. Great way to get started. So all this emphasis on study is, of course, of course, not meant to be at the expense of action, not at the expense of following through on the Torah's commandments. We need to have both in our lives. The Ten Commandments actually typify this combination of you know, learning and understanding at a high level as well as practical application in behavior. On one hand, you have some of the commandments in the Ten Commandments are very practical rules like don't murder, don't steal. On the other hand, an abstract concept like the oneness of God, which clearly requires a lot of study and meditation, is also part of the Ten Commandments. And as a matter of fact, even in the realm of faith, we have a, a teaching from the Ibn Ezra who writes that, you know, faith is the sliding scale. You have the faith of the masses, which is basically just follow what we're told. Um, and you have the faith of some people who are a little bit more learned and they'll delve into the words of the Torah. And then you have people who question everything and are always striving to learn. And they'll learn all kinds of wisdom, not only the Torah wisdom, which will help them recognize the work of God in the world. And they'll develop uh, a faith, a belief in God, and a relationship with God based on their understanding. And, and that's ideal. And so even in the, in the realm of, of faith, there's, uh, there's room for study and understanding. But the bottom line is that it's never at the expense of action and behavior. Of course, that's what it's all about. And we need to have both in our lives. Last but not least, what is the takeaway from all this? The takeaway is very simple. The guiding principle through all of this is that the Jewish culture and the Jewish approach to learning is fundamentally different than the Egyptian approach, whereas the Jewish approach is all about everyone being not only able but also obligated to study. And so the takeaway to me seems very simple. Knowledge must not remain hidden, therefore... You cannot hide what you know. You have to share, teach, tutor, write, start a podcast. Don't call it Parsha Podcast. There's way too many of those already. But the Torah law is actually that every scholar of Torah must, must also be a teacher of Torah. And not only scholars. 
The Rebbe often spoke that if all you know is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and that's all you ever learned, there's somebody out there who doesn't even know that. So you can teach them that. As, as often as you might feel like a, like a humble student, I guarantee you there are people in your circle to whom you can be a teacher. And I will also tell you that personally, only through teaching whatever I know of Torah have I begun to understand it properly. The exercise of teaching is the best way to enhance your own knowledge. That's not really the point. It's just a nice motivating um, side effect. The bottom line is that whatever you know obligates you to teach it. And the only way I know of avoiding this moral obligation is not to know anything. And it's already too late for that, I hope. So everybody should please go teach. Find yourself a way of expressing what you know, whether it's on social media, whether it's through writing, whether it's through video, whether it's in person, not really in person these days, but for people who will go back to the archives and listen to this in a few years. But however it is, whatever form it takes, you are clearly, without a doubt, capable of being a teacher to someone in your life. Now go teach, and that'll be it. Hmm, no. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate that you've taken the time to join us on the Parsha podcast. I'd like to ask you to reflect on whatever we, we just discussed in the Parsha podcast. I would love to hear your thoughts. What are some other lessons and takeaways that you can take from the topics we discussed? Please send me your feedback. I'd love to hear from you. You can email me directly at rmg at jewishwaterloo.com any and all feedback, constructive criticism, compliments, and so on are really appreciated. Thank you so much.